Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hey everybody, and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host, Max Cantor, and I'm very excited for the guest that I have today, because I went on his website, and his resume was so long that I couldn't pick out. I don't even know what my favorite things are, so some of the highlights, he appeared on Kevin Hart's Heart of the City, which was on Comedy Central, and he's smiling as I say this, because he knows it was cool. He knows it was cool. He's trying to be humble over there, but he's like, yes, I was. I was on that show. Uh, He was also the 2016 Laughing Skull Festival's Setlist Tournament Champion. He, yeah, yeah. He's not smiling as much. For that I got a one. trophy. That was cool. Oh, you got a trophy? Yeah, it's the only trophy I ever got in my life. Was no. it the only? For, tro- no, for comedy. But I think it's the right to last. Oh, okay. For comedy. I don't think they just hand out comedy trophies. Okay. Well, so it's valuable. It's it a is valuable. Trophy. Yeah. Okay. And he was also he was also selected as one of Atlanta's people to watch in 2017 by Creative Loafing. Yes. And I know 2017 is coming to an end. It is. So have you gotten that honor for 2018? Yet? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> That means people weren't paying attention in 2017. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. And then finally, uh, he co-hosts the sports comedy podcast, 4th and 10. Yes. So welcome to the show, David Perdue. Welcome Thank to the show, David. You. Thank you for having me, Max. Man, this is cool. I'm excited to, uh, so, to be here. So, David, I have to tell you. So I've interviewed, let's see, Haley Elman. Great. Uh, Joe Byers. Great. Um, who else? I talked with, uh, who am I forgetting? Travis. Travis. Travis yeah, Jones. That's Travis. the name. He's smooth. Uh, I like Travis. All of them, yeah. all of them. I said to each one after we finished recording. I said, uh, "Can I? Uh, can you give me uh, some names uh-huh. of guests that I could get on the show?" <laughs> Every single one of them said you, oh, and referred to you as the mayor of Atlanta oh, comedy. Wow! <laughs> Every single one. So first, <laughs> Haley was like, "You should get, you should get David Perdue. He's he's like the mayor of Atlanta oh, comedy." Wow! I'm like, "That's cool." And then <laughs> and then Travis used the same wording, the same. So as if I put that <laughs> word out myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, is that a self-proclaimed? No, I had no idea people were saying this. That nope. is interesting. Would, would you agree? I, Actually, I wouldn't. There's a there's a comedian who I would I would say, Joe Pettis. I think, Joe, have you ever met Joe Pettis? Mm-mm. Joe Pettis is probably the man, in, in the sense that he runs a lot of shows. He's actually doing comedy in Atlanta a little bit longer than me. Um, but I I, I, I I get what they're saying. So I'm, I'm now one of the elder statesmen of Atlanta comedy. Mm-hmm. But I then look to Joe. Like Joe's been doing it a little longer, and he runs a lot of shows. He's very influential on the scene. But I accept it though. I'm not I'm not gonna remember. I accept that. It's pretty cool. Okay. So how about we say you're the mayor and he's like the governor? That works. <laughs> there you go. That'll work. I'll take that, that way. You get a title. Yeah, still. <laughs> I'll take that. That's cool. That's cool. So to jump into the interview, uh, tell me, you know, growing up, mm-hmm. uh, what late night. Shows, television influenced you in your comedy. Late night, uh, are we talking? We're referring to uh, like late, like like after the news comes on, and then like the late night hosts. <laughs> we're talking about like Carson Leno, people like that, or just television. You, uh, so let's talk about you know like Carson Leno, okay. Letterman, and then um, if anything else, late okay. night television. Yeah, uh, honestly, I was I was very big into Leno. Really? Which is not, I feel like, is no, I'm nothing like Leno at all, I, don't, I would say. <laughs> um, but I was very much so into Leno. I think it was just because uh, growing up as a kid, his stuff was just like everybody got. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, uh, I feel like a lot, a lot of stuff now is very political. And even uh, like Letterman was always, always seemed like, like an old man to me. Oh. There's something, and I, now that I got older, I really appreciate Letterman. But there was something about Leno that just was like, yeah, he's just like fun guy. Like he's just fun. And uh, I really, uh, I remember just, yeah, watching uh, watching monologues and 
wishing I was Kevin Eubanks. <laughs> just be like, man, not only do I wish I could play an instrument, but I could just like front row and just see him. Like, I don't know, he just seemed like he was having the most fun at late night. So I was a big, uh, I watched Leno a lot. So did you watch him for like the monologues and the stand up portion of it, or did you watch it for like the interviews? Uh, definitely for the interviews. Really? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't even. I never. I didn't pick up that he was doing like. I didn't really pick up stand up like really paying attention stand up to like much later in my life. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I just I just loved his. He just had a certain presence about him. Like he just felt like you could drop him anywhere, and he'd know how to be funny, and he'd know how to get everybody to have a good time. Uh-huh. And I feel like you can just read that energy when you watch him. Like I get now that I'm older, people like don't. There's like people who don't like him or don't like his style or whatever. But I'm like, it was effective, you know, and it worked. And I think, you know, there's something about energy that he put out that I really just respect it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I'll tell you why your response is interesting. Okay. Uh, only one other guest. You're going to be my, uh, let's see, I released my 18th. Now, you're going to be my 20th episode. Okay. This is, this is the 20th episode of Talking Late Night. Okay. Um, and in all the guests I've interviewed, mm. only one other has said Jay Leno, mm. and that was Joel Byers. Really? He said Jay Leno. And only one other said they watched Late Night for the interviews really mm-hmm. and that was megan Leahy, who's okay. a who's a improviser yeah, yeah so you're very interesting because mm, it is interesting you have a unique perspective uh, perspective of what you were watching did everybody else say letterman yep Every, i think see, everybody this, this said is letterman. What I, i'm gonna i'm gonna call a foul on the play i think i think <laughs> people think letter say letterman now because that's like the cool parts because he was like more sophisticated or whatever there's no way at a 10 or 11 you're watching letterman like i get this you know what I mean? Like, this is not, this is like, when I was a kid, I used to hate Seinfeld. My dad would be like, what do you mean you hate? And I was like, look, he's not even saying anything, dad. Like, that was my thing. And I got older, I was like, this is hilarious. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you don't get the jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, Letterman just has a more mature feel. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to call foul. I don't think everybody, I don't think everybody's telling you the truth. I think the cool thing to say is Letterman because he's cool and he's like more sophisticated and not as general. But I think most people watch Leno. So how, how, tell me how you feel about this. Um, my first late night talk show that i watched as a kid starting at five years old mm-hmm. was david letterman okay did you and you enjoyed it uh-huh that's, that's so interesting i mean i could I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible i just felt like he didn't have the same appeal also even cbs looked different like as a kid you know what i mean it, <laughs> uh-huh. it doesn't to this day never it doesn't Seems look more sh- grown up yeah it doesn't look as shiny as nbc mm-hmm. so i maybe that's also why i picked uh, letterman it just i mean leno it just seemed just shiny like more like kid friendly mm-hmm. you know i feel like i don't even know i feel like leno used to peel up christmas trees you know what i mean i don't think <laughs> uh-huh. letterman did that i think i just I, every time i think of letterman i just think like this set is boring the colors are bland like mm-hmm. it's just it's not kid inviting you know mm-hmm. so but you, that's interesting at 5 that's cool you were drawn to the visual of it oh for sure yeah i i i didn't I didn't really know what was going on comedy. I just like I don't remember ever having a hearty laugh about Leno. Mm-hmm. It was just like this feels fun. Mm-hmm. This feels good. So mm-hmm. watch it, and then I feel like the guests that he would have would laugh with him more. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so that just spoke to me. It was like, and then the people I knew like the movies that they were on or whatever. So it just kind of spoke to me more. I don't know. So what else? comedy wise did you mm-hmm. watch as a kid or that you were you know participating in or viewing um so i always tell people one of my probably one of my biggest influences and this is gonna sound so weird was at the andy griffith show really which is which is incredibly uh, today's real sad day because you know uh the guy who played gomer powell just mm-hmm. passed he passed away he just passed and and i was a huge fan of like my mom watched old television and so I would watch that with my mom. Like, she loves Andy Griffith show. And so I would just, like, watch it. And I, I was like, this is also just... Andy just had great sense of... I just love people with good sensibility. Like, I don't I don't necessarily always remember jokes. 
I just remember like how people make you feel, and that's like a I think it's like a Maya Angelou quote. Like people no won't necessarily remember what you say, they'll never forget how you make them feel. Mm-hmm. So like uh, Andy Griffith was just like I don't know, he was just the coolest dude in the room. Any room we walked into, it was like no matter how heated Barney was or like how crazy he was acting <laughs> or like how you know crazy NB or Opie was doing something silly, he was just like all right, let me sit back and let's assess what's going on. And like he had like these cool fun jabs that he would have at people, but then he could like smile at all. I don't know, he was just the coolest dude in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, I even watched. Matlock, like I, mean, I was like, I don't know, I was a big Andy Griffith fan, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah, it, it seems everything you're telling me that you watched, it was all about the feel yes. that it gave you, the vibe of it, not more of like, what are they saying? What is the content? Yeah. It's how it made you feel. So, do you use that today in your comedy? So, I would say that uh, early on, the feel was more important. As I got older and a little more mature, what people said became important, and I kind of meshed the two now. Mm-hmm. Um, so early on. Big influence, like I said, was like Andy Griffith Show or like even like Leave It to Beaver. Like I love Leave It to Beaver. Like I quote Leave It to Beaver. Um, and then as I got older and kind of got into comedy, then it would, you uh, the comedians that I would be interested in, they had something to say and it was like a connection, like a feel to it, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. I've, I've messed it too. I don't know if it necessarily. I definitely that's paramount for me when I'm on stage is like making sure the audience connects with me because mm-hmm. I feel like once you connect with someone. You you can really open up and really like get to the truth of things and really kind of like explore things and maybe you didn't think you could you know explore like you get past all the surf the surface stuff you know mm-hmm. um, so now you know now I kind of incorporate the two. So back when you were a kid, did you know that you were going to be a performer? Did oh you no, know? no? <laughs> not at all. So what what did you think you were going to be? Uh, like a baseball player or like <laughs> or an, and an astronaut. Yeah, yeah. No, I never wanted to go to space. No, <laughs> no. So, so you were no to space. No, I never no to space. I was like, why would you go up there? We went to the moon. We're good now. Let's not <laughs> mission accomplished. Yeah, I was like, let's not tempt fate. I don't think we're supposed to be up there. Like that's that's the way I looked at it. Um, but yeah, like a baseball player or mm. like a um, I don't. I was really into like business. <laughs> okay like money yeah, like money and stuff like a kid, the kid version of business like i wasn't mm-hmm. reading like the wall street journal i just thought like well how are people making money well let me like dress like they dress and make money like mm-hmm. as the kid version of it so it wasn't like i was always in suits but like my, i think my parents thought i was gonna go into business of some sort and they would call me uh what's this dude i forgot what is it uh mr drysdale and that's on i feel like that's beverly hillbillies like the banker on beverly hillbillies mm-hmm. Again, old TV shows, but no, that was like right. my, my folks would call me like Mr. Drysdale because I was like my my I was like a kid that had like savings. <laughs> yeah. So, so so you would wear suits all the time. No, no, no. I was saying I wouldn't wear suits. Oh, all you the wouldn't time. wear suits. So it would okay. just be like I would okay. I would think, but I would be like I should probably be get, thinking about suits now because uh, I'm gonna be in the business and okay. I need a little briefcase maybe. You know what right. I mean? Like in my head, I was gonna be like this business dude. Definitely not a performer like at all. Like I didn't. I didn't have that vision until much later in life. So were you making your friends laugh, you know, in middle and high school? Oh man. Um I don't I don't think I was. Now, when I talk to people now, they say, Oh, you were kinda funny. And I feel like they just say that because I'm a comedian. <laughs> um, and they're just like they want to be like the ones that say, like, we remember when you were funny. And I'm right. like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. I I wasn't I wasn't the funniest for sure. Like I I have a younger brother and younger sister and they're very uh, honest. Mm-hmm. And not too long ago, they do they did like a ranking of the funniest people in our family. Oh, and I, the professional comedian, came in fourteenth <laughs> out of how many? Uh, I I think they just stopped. Like it was it was it was so it was like aunts, uncles, cousins, mm-hmm. grandparents, you know, I mean, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Parents, and yeah, I came in fourteenth. So that's you know, 
maybe 20 people out of 20 maybe you know what i mean like it it wasn't like i was like it wasn't like it's a huge number but it was like i should be top 10 i'm professional uh but it, but i couldn't disagree because i wasn't yeah i don't think i was like the funny person mm-hmm. i was a very serious kid you know very serious kid too serious probably like i took stuff way too seriously you know. So when you went to college, where did you go to college? I went to Morehouse College. I went to Morehouse. Yeah. So you're from around here. I am from growing around up, here. homegrown. I am a homegrown talent. So <laughs> when you went to college, what was your intended major, or I, what did you major? I majored in sociology. Okay. With a leadership studies minor. Okay. Which is what? <laughs> <laughs> I know you said it, and I don't want to say anything. Yeah. But then you said, so what? It, can you explain what a leadership leadership? Minor so is? actually, that was my favorite. Those were my favorite thing. It was it was basically ethics. Okay. Uh, and they had it was, it was under like the leadership studies made like um, program, mm-hmm. but it was it was so it wasn't like uh, how to how to make your employees. Or it was just it was ethics. So we studied a lot of like Gandhi, Martin Luther King, uh, things you know what I mean, like uh, like historical leaders mm. and ethics and stuff like that. So it was it was it was way beyond the whole like how do you get people to follow you mm-hmm. as much as like what's the right thing to do if you're in a position of leadership mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that was like some of my favorite. Uh, you know, courses to study, but uh, sociology. Honestly, when I tell people why I studied that, it was just because uh, when I had to declare a major, I just if you know Morehouse was the uh, alma mater Martin Luther King Jr. and I just was like, well, what did he study? And then I just picked that. Like I had no idea <laughs> what I was gonna do with it. <laughs> I just was like, I don't know, it worked out for him. And at the time, I remember you know learning about him more and figuring out, finding out that like he. He was not the best student, and I was not the best student. I was like, "Well, this is perfect." Like, <laughs> you know. So I, yeah, I signed up, and uh, my plan, I think, was I was telling people it was very odd, but like all my friends were preachers in college. Really, all my my best friend is a, is a pastor. At, uh, he's a youth pastor at like a, I think North Point Church mm-hmm. here in Atlanta, or he's one of their youth pastors. And uh, one of my best friends in college, who's no longer with us, he was a pastor. And all these all my friends, like I hung around pastors. And so my, I guess when I at, the, at that point in college, I was like, if I don't figure this out, I'll just, I don't know, I'll just go to seminary, <laughs> like figure it out. <laughs> uh-huh. And my parents thought I was going to be a pastor. My granddad used to always say I was going to be a pastor, not for any like, because I could speak well, mm-hmm. as much as uh, he just said pastors, all pastors had big heads. And he was just like, you have the biggest head for any kid. And it seems like he was like, you're destined to be a preacher. So it was a thing for me to be like, oh, yeah. And then also I went to Christian school my whole life. Mm. So that that was a big thing. <laughs> what What is that like in college to be friends? Your whole like friend group yeah. are very religious. They're, but they're like the cool, like when I say they're the cool kind, I don't mean like, but they were like legit, like, and we drunk, like we party. It wasn't like, but it wasn't like, I always tell you, my best friend was the first person to ever take me to a strip club. And it was also like, he was also like a pastor. He, like, but it was a, it was, and it's going to sound, it was a very respectable way he did it. You know what I mean? Like the girl, I remember the girls just being like, oh man, your friend's so nice. And he's like, and I was just like, what is this? Like, but that's just who, that's just who my friends were. They just were like, we go anywhere. We're not like, we're not judging people. We're not weird like that. We just, we go where people are. We have a good time, but we don't like. You know, we're not we're not worried about how we look to people. We're just worried what we do, how we act towards people, and I I appreciated that. You know. So you thought you were going to be a pastor up until what point? Oh, I still tell people if comedy don't work out, I'm gonna be a pastor. <laughs> I was like, I have way too much charisma not to take this talents to the pulpit. I'll be mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll be real good, and I'll, I'm, I will. I, as I said, I always tell people like I can't be a pastor because I would I would be in it for the jets. <laughs> I was like, I got to get a jet out of this. Cause too many pastors got these jets, and I'm like, I'll, I got way more charisma than some of these pastors. I could get a jet out of this. So, uh, at what point did I say no? I mean, probably. I don't think I ever really believed it. I think it was always like a fallback. I never, uh. I never. I never affirmed anything in college. Like, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. It was almost like, I guess I can do that. 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like I got really into comedy, I was like, I guess this is what I'll be doing. Mm-hmm. So know? so when did your comedy career start? Uh, I started in 2010. My first time I ever on stage was 2010. Mm-hmm. October 27, 2010. I remember the date. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, I started then. I was still in school. Uh, and yeah, it was it was it was a fine time. You know, it was a okay set as far as you know first times could go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was just like I was hooked. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I was hooked, and then the second time I performed, I bombed terribly, and then I was hooked mm-hmm. because you don't ever want to experience that again. Right. So you're just like you're always chasing that. Like I can be better than that. I can be you know. And you mm-hmm. just you be, I became competitive with myself. I'm trying to like be better. The first time you went up there, October twenty seventh, two thousand ten, uh, two thousand ten, Laughing Skull Lounge. Did you go up there with material ready, or you just totally winged? No, no, no. I had material. Me okay. and a good friend of mine, uh, Atlanta comedian named Damon Sumner, we started at the same time. Okay. We were actually going to the same church. I'll go back to church. We were all going. To, we were going to the same church. Met each other. Two, I think another mutual friend was like, "This guy's funny." And I think he was talking about doing comedy. So we like met like two months prior, and like we're just. Writing jokes, being in bookstores, like trying to write jokes, reading like the comedy Bible by Judy Carter. Like we're just trying to figure out comedy, and then we both actually got the same date to perform at the open mic at Lavish School. And yeah, we had we had material, we were ready. Mm. You know, as ready as you can be for your first time. Still nervous, but like we were ready, and uh, it was fine. You know, like mm. I look back on it and like it was terrible, <laughs> but like at the, for the time for your first time, I was like you know, got the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember the first joke you ever wrote? Um. Yeah. What is I, it? So, and the reason why I remember it is because I do this thing where I try to watch my very first set like once a month. Uh, I've been doing comedy seven years, and I try to watch it once a month just to like remind me of how far I've come. Wow, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. just be like, kind of, it's like a reminder like that. You thought that was good. That dude sucked. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's like, but it's also like, look, you're not that anymore. And seven years from now, you're gonna look at stuff you're doing now. And you're like, you're not this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first joke I wrote was a joke about me being like a super senior. <laughs> and I had a sh- uh, it, was, it was like a it was some joke about how I had a shirt uh, no I, I had I was I was in college so long that they offered me tenure or something silly <laughs> like that and then I think I had like a weird Stevie Wonder joke because I one time he was on our campus mm. and it, uh, his security wouldn't let me take a picture because they said Stevie don't like the flash and I, it was you know what I mean it's just like super super silly and I was like well I, I took offense to that so they for whatever reason because I was a super singer they like let me you know give Stevie a tour but I was so upset that instead of taking him to the to the cafeteria I took him to my dorm room and put a hot pocket in and told him it was pizza day or just just <laughs> terrible like bad jokes you know um, but yeah that was like that was just like my first like my first joke it was more like I've always been a storyteller so like even mm-hmm. early on my first jokes were like these like things that start off as something they start with the element of truth, and then it's just like you weave in this story and mm-hmm. try to you know put in jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, I was about to ask you, you know, if your stand up was more like set up punchline, set up punchline, or storytelling. So why do you, why did you feel like you naturally gravitated towards storytelling? Mm. Um, because I was afraid of stealing material. Really, I was very okay. afraid. I was very worried about like, oh, somebody else has something like this. Because mm-hmm. uh, early on, I would have some stuff that was stored, some stuff that was like I wrote it and was like set up punch. Mm-hmm. And I remember I forgot where I was, and the guy who ran the venue came to me after, and he was just like, "Hey, uh, this joke you had, I don't remember the joke." He's like, "So sad, kind of reminds me of some comics joke." And I just remember my heart dropped because I was like, I don't want anybody to think I'm stealing jokes. Mm-hmm. And I remember the well, the best way for no one to be able to steal it is you just tell them. About yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're telling people about what happened to you, 
Unless, like I always tell people, unless someone else has a 94-year-old granddad that calls you every day at 1114, you're not going to have that joke. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like you're right. not going to have that story to tell. So it, from then on, I was just like, I really just want to like talk about like things that only I can experience and like give people insight on my life. So yeah, that was like the reason why I did that. When you first started like opening up and sharing these stories, were you a little nervous about like opening up to strangers? Um, No. That's weird. You're, you're, yeah, you're, I wasn't. You know, I'm sure you talk a lot of comedians. They very, get very nervous. Like I, I, I'm not never said I wasn't nervous to perform, but I always had the mindset like I'll never see these people again. So <laughs> if they have that story, then they just have that story. They can tell it. But like, I'll never see them. So sure, you get this weird story about me and my brother almost chopping his finger off, or you get this weird story about how like you know what I mean whatever the weird story I had at the time because mm-hmm. I was like. Even if you talk to me after, you're not gonna like follow. Like you're not gonna be like in my life forever. Mm-hmm. So you get this story. You already, you gave me your time. Mm-hmm. The least I can do is give you something that's real to me. Right. And then you know, and then we'll be good. Like I'm not worried about you. You know, telling anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm in my head. I'm like eventually, people are gonna know if I keep doing this long. People will know anyway. So just get used to just people knowing. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of eliminate that fear mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, uh, how you said, I'll never see these people again. Have you, over the course of seven years, have you built up followers who like travel to see you at different places? Um, I, you know, well, yes. There are certain people who come, uh, especially now, like the podcast that we have that mm-hmm. you mentioned. We've had people, when we tour together, me and Nathan Owens and Damon Summers, our podcast. When we do like mini tours and stuff, we'll have people like, we heard you from the podcast. We came to see you, mm. and that's super cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, you get people that come, but it, but then you know, if they, at that point they're invested, so they're not gonna hold it over your head that you had this weird moment back when you were in high school. They're just gonna be like, we love, we love that you opened up to us, right? You know, this you created a connection with us. So that's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me a lot, and I know I I mentioned his name because obviously you were on his TV show. But Kevin Hart, he does the same the, the same stories. deal, the stories, and he, you know, obviously like you were saying, you you have that little bit of truth, and then you build the story yeah. around it. But it's the same way, you know. Yep. He does the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I remember hearing when uh, one of his specials, maybe like second. Third, one of the ones that went to movies, and he, he was talking about an early comic that influenced was Keith Robertson, mm-hmm. and he talked about how Keith was like, "You suck," early on because he was right. like, "You're not, you're not saying anything." Right. And at that point, I was already tra- starting to lean that way, mm-hmm. but hearing that and seeing like how he was building his, like what his platform, what he was doing, I was like, "Yeah, it makes the most sense." Why am I trying to be somebody I'm not? Like anybody, right. like when you really comedy is such a uh, an industry where it's so like special is important. Mm-hmm. Being special is important, mm-hmm. so you have to. Being special is just having whatever's the, the, the there's a scarcity of, right? So if there's only one me, right, mm-hmm. and I know that person the best, why not go there for the wealth for the go to that well to bring out information or or you know material? Why not go to me exactly. instead of being like, well, what does this other person do? What joke do they have like this? It's like. Just do what you do. Mm-hmm. Like bet on yourself because mm-hmm. you're the only one like you and there's no one else like you. And if you're able to pro- you know, produce that for people to really understand and like open up to you, yeah, you're going to get I – f- I think you're going to get good results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, personally, I love uh, storytelling comedians because yeah. it's like what you said. They open up, and it's like it's so unique and special to them. Yeah. Um. So my favorite, one of my favorite comedians is John Mulaney. Oh, he's great, and I love it for the the storytelling. He's also an incredible writer. 
He's it's an true. incredible writer. That's true. Yeah. I mean, the things, the what he talks about is just so yeah. funny and it's so detailed, you yeah. know? And the way he describes it, it just transports you yep. to whatever situation he and was in. And that's the, I think that's the mark of a great storyteller is they, they say something that's very personal, mm-hmm. but other people are like, oh, I think like that too. Mm-hmm. That's the, I remember, I listen to podcasts all the time. I'm like a comedy nerd. And it was like Phil Rosenthal on somebody's podcast was talking. He's a creator, one of the creators of every, uh, uh, not everybody hates Chris. No, um, everybody loves Raymond. Mm. And he was talking about how when they were writing certain characters, especially Raymond's mom, who's mm. one of the good characters on, the, like one of the funniest characters on the show. Mm-hmm. And he said writes very specifically about my own mother. Like what are the most specific details in my mother? Because he said the more specific you get, and really you get more general, because more people are like, oh, my mom's like that, mm-hmm. or my person like. But you know, the, you have to f- mine for those like very particular things and mm-hmm. I think that works in stand up too where you're the more you talk about yourself and the very like like the weird intricacies that you have about mm-hmm. yourself the more people are like oh I'm a little bit like that people want to see themselves in the performers mm-hmm. if you give them nothing and they're like I don't see uh, why, I don't get it it's mm-hmm. like why you watch TV because you want to see either see yourself in something you know what I mean or like have like a real connection with the characters mm-hmm. when you're on stage you're one of the characters mm-hmm. so if you're just very general you're like, well, that was fine it was forgettable. Like, I never connected with them, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think the specifics really aid in, like, the connection process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, connection is totally, it's super important. Yeah. Super, super important yeah. when it comes to comedy. And I think, too, it's, it's about being vulnerable. Yeah. And that willingness to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And all the best comedians are vulnerable. Absolutely. Whether it's stand-up or a movie or TV, they're showing a vulnerability yeah. that makes us go, oh, that's funny. Yeah. It's a vulnerable... I think I think you hit the nail right on the head. Vulnerability is very important, I think, in any art. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it... I think when people... Especially in comedy, when people see you on stage, everybody wants to do what we're doing right. when we're on stage. They're like, I wish I could do that, right? Mm-hmm. And then... So you there's a sense of like power that you have when you're performing then when you take that power and then you kind of crack it open and just be like yeah there's power but also here's the not so powerful part you know here's the Mm -hmm. like the part that's like very sensitive then people are like wow that's a well-rounded you know what i mean this is a well-rounded performance because at first i just thought i was just watching you now i'm with you Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and that with that idea of being with someone is very important we're all i think we're all searching for that that being with people you know and Mm -hmm. so the more vulnerable you are, the more people in the audience can be with you in that moment. I'm just, I don't know, I appreciate that in, in comedians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's crazy. You know, we can talk about stand up get so in depth because it is an art. Stand up is an art. Yeah. And, and sometimes when an audience watches it or people who, who don't really understand comedy, they, they're just like, oh, I could do that. Yeah. You know, that's easy to do. Oh, just, yeah. They're just talking. I talk. Yeah. And so I can do that. That's what they think. <laughs> then there's so much that goes into it. Oh man, it's uh, I remember I had a friend early on who really thought he'd be a comedian, and he was super. Fun- he was way funnier than me in real life. Like there was <laughs> yeah. no doubt about it. And I was like, "What well, just comes up with Michael? Me, let's see what happens." Mm-hmm. And he comes and he gets off stage, and it it wasn't. It didn't go well. Mm-hmm. It didn't go terrible. It didn't go well. And he was like, "You do this every night?" And I was like, "Yeah." He was like, "I can't. There's no way." <laughs> yeah. And as you realize, a lot of it is just not stopping, mm-hmm. and then figuring out different ways to make stuff happen. Uh, to hone your voice and like really kind of like hone in on what you want to say, you know, mm-hmm. and that takes time. So it's not just talking; it's really like active listening. Like you're you're talking, and you're also learning what the audience is hearing when they hear you say what you're saying, right? And then figuring out how to best communicate what you're saying to those people, and like grow from there. So yeah, 
Right. And yeah. it, it's like what you said you, a, a, little, a little bit earlier when we talked about the first time that you bombed, your mm-hmm. second time performing. Yes. How when you bombed, it wasn't like, okay, well, that's it. I'm yeah. not funny. My material is not funny. Right. No, you were like, okay, I'm never going to have this happen again. Yeah. So I'm going to work my butt off and yeah. I'm going to keep going harder and harder and harder. Yep. The majority of the people don't think that. Oh, no. No, no. one thinks about the bomb. Right. Everybody see because they don't, you never see the bomb. Right. We're in an age now, like, think about Instagram. We only show the highlights. <laughs> right. Right. So everybody's like, look at this cool meal that I ate. Mm-hmm. If, if you that I cooked, they don't show the for the times you burnt it, right? You know what I mean? Or like, look at this cool, you know. So no one sees the process. Or in you sports know. too, it's the same oh, yeah. deal. You watch, you watch basketball highlights. They're mm-hmm. not showing Steph Curry missing the shots. Yeah. They're showing every three pointer he makes. Right. You and know. Yeah. That's yeah. True. People don't. It's. I think that's interesting that yeah. they don't think about the process and the failure. The failure that takes all the failures build the mountain to success. Yeah. Well, I was watching. Speaking, of, I was watching something interesting. It was Kobe Bryant. It was an interview he had where he's talking about failure is not a thing and mm. the reason why failure is not a thing is because fa- well he says failure is the only thing if you stop at that thing mm-hmm. meaning that all failure quote unquote failure is is a learning process mm-hmm. and so if so for instance he was saying like um, if he never won a championship would his career be a failure and he was like well it it wouldn't be a failure because uh, I don't if I don't what did he say? He was like, if I if I wasn't winning championships, I'd have to. You have to assess after you have these quote unquote failures. You assess yourself and say, what am I not doing to be able to get the thing that I want? Mm-hmm. And then if you can look yourself in the eye and say, all right, let me do all those things. He was like, then I expect to get those things, you know, because I've put myself in a situation to do it. So, and I kind of agree with comedy. Like, you don't fail. You don't really bomb. You just say, all right, that's a it's another way to do that. I have to figure out another way to do that. Or here's mm-hmm. if you look at that situation of bomb, you're like, here's where it went wrong. Now I know how to do it. So you. For every failure, if you're really looking at it, you're gaining a success if you're working at it. It's true. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, that didn't work, but now I know how how to make it work next time. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's invaluable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you're just putting a success in the future yeah. that you wouldn't have gotten. Right, and it's know? a marathon. Comedy is not like a one show and you're done thing. Like, I want to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, there's right. no show that happened six years ago that's going to stop me six years from now or, you know, no show now. You know, it's like... You can't. I can't bomb hard enough for me to be like, I got to get out. <laughs> you know, it <laughs> right. won't work. It won't work for me. So when you graduated college, mm-hmm. were you like, okay, I'm doing comedy full time, or did you do another thing in comedy on the side? Uh, I mean, definitely um, other. I did a lot of other stuff. So I go work for. Um, I work for the college for a second. Uh, working in like working with kids and stuff. I would mm-hmm. do like odd jobs. I remember like selling like corn dogs before, like just <laughs> random stuff. Even mm-hmm. still, because like you know, comedy is not like at my at my level. It's not super lucrative. Mm-hmm. There there are great moments, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you you're constantly you know hustling and figuring out different ways to do different things. So yeah, mm-hmm. but there were never and never. I made a conscious decision to not do anything that would stop me from being able to do comedy at night. Mm-hmm. And and part of that, and I'll be, I always tell people I'm very honest. Part of that was me being like I'm moving back home. Like I, you know what I mean? Like I moved back home. Uh, I feel like I was a good kid growing up. My parents not gonna have a problem with anything, you know, going in and out. And then they'll see like the investment that I had to like do it. So you know, I made certain sacrifices, but it was uh, to me it was well worth it. Did you, know? you ever get involved in like improv or sketch writing, or did you stay in stand up? I stayed in stand up and admired improv and sketch from afar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was mainly just because I, I got laser vision, like f- laser focus mm-hmm. when it came to stand up. And I was like, you're not even good at that thing yet. So why would you then try to do this other thing? Which yeah. is not necessarily the smartest way to look at it. Because mm. you can multitask. Like you can do a couple <laughs> things at once. Uh I just I just really uh, you know, I just honed in on stand up. Like it was just my mm-hmm. thing. Um, but again, 
I would go to improv stuff and just be like, that's a skill I wish I had, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So, so you're, you know, you graduate college and you're working, you're going to different clubs, you're practicing, mm-hmm. getting better and better and better. What was the moment for you? When did the moment come when you were like, oh, I've gotten good. Like I have, huh. like it's, it's clicked. You know, I think there's levels to okay. the good. There's levels. So I remember the first time I made a comic who I respected here in the city laugh, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I must be doing something right. Like when I could hear her laugh in the back, mm-hmm. uh, Shalay was sharp. Who who was a dope Atlanta? She's she's in New York now. She has a dope album called "Stay Eating Cookies." If you never <laughs> heard, if you know, if you love Atlanta comedy, you should definitely like pay attention to her. Um, but I remember uh, I was on a show, One AM Secret Show, back in the day, mm-hmm. and I heard her. It was the first time I was ever on the show, and I heard her laugh in the back. And she's not an easy laugh. Like she's not someone that you always hear her laugh. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing that laugh. I was like, "Oh, you got something, Dave." Stay in it, you know? <laughs> like, that was one level. And then another level is, like, um, being regular at a club. And you're like, when when bookers want con- in the city want to continue to have you on shows, you know, like, well, when can you do this? When can you do that? You're like, oh, okay. That's another level. And then, like, when you do TV for the first time and you're just like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Like, because <laughs> I, you know, you realize your goals, your goals change as you get older. Like, I remember the first goal I ever had <clears throat> was to... uh just be a comic that was allowed to be behind the stage before the show yeah. and not have to sit in the audience. That's all I wanted when I first started. Because mm-hmm. I would see comics that the host knew well get to come from behind the stage when they called them up, but everybody else had to sit in the audience and then walk in front. And I was like, I just want to be cool enough to get in the back, <laughs> right? That's all I wanted. Uh-huh. And then now it's like, you know, when you're getting, uh, you know, Comedy Central's emailing you saying, hey, can you send us a five-minute tape? We're interested in you on our show. You're just like... Oh, things change. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, this is for real now. You know, mm-hmm. or like when somebody's like, "Hey, we want to fly you out to uh, California to be a part of this TV show," and you're just like, "Wait, you want to do what?" Like, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's just it it so it, it changes. You know, like even this year, like I was fortunate enough to like act for the first time mm-hmm. uh, on a show on True TV called Misfits and Monsters, mm-hmm. which uh, Bobcat Goldthwait is a director. Anyway, like mm-hmm. I never thought about acting at all. Mm-hmm. But somebody who saw me in something else like on TV, the Kevin Hart thing, was like, he'd be good for this role. And now I'm like, oh, that's another level. You know what I mean? So like, there's always these like, oh, snap moments where you're just like, oh, okay, I guess this is a thing. Right. It, it doesn't feel real. I'm going to be very honest. None of it feels real. It's like, this shouldn't be. Like, I didn't, I didn't, you know, you don't plan. Like, some people, I think they plan it out. I'm just like, I just want to keep getting better. Right. And I think the better you get, the more opportunities you have. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but yeah, I don't think I've had it one moment where it was like, "Holy snap!" Like this is this is incredible. You know, mm-hmm. it's all it's. I feel like it's all been like this. This none of this makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like none of this makes sense. I shouldn't be a comic. Any of my friends know I shouldn't have been a comic because <laughs> I wasn't the funniest kid. Uh, you know, I shouldn't have been on. You know, so many other things. But it's just like you just keep at it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are are you? Uh, well, I'm. I bet I know the answer to this. But are you happy with the way everything in your life has worked out? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I found a thing I love. Right. Like when I was, like I said, when I was in college, I was like, well, I guess I could be, uh, you know, go be a minister. But now it's like, oh, I want to be a stand-up comedian, and mm-hmm. I would do everything I have to do in order to be that, because that's the one thing that like I love to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, yeah, I'm incredibly happy. Like all the the you know the stuff that the, that comes that people like look at, like the you know comedy festivals or TV stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. That stuff is cool, mm-hmm. but like the fact that I get to perform on those stages is more important to me than the credit. You know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's just like they somebody wanted me to perform, and I, I didn't have to beg. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. that's just super cool to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll never. Now, don't get me wrong. 
meeting Kevin Hart was crazy. <laughs> uh, and I was like, a, oh, snap. More like, this is too real. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like, you know, a lot of it's just like just being happy and grateful that like people just, like, you know, respect what I do and want to see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So in, in person, is Kevin Hart a genuinely nice guy? The nicest. <laughs> uh, I, I to- I've told the story a couple times on another thing, but I guess I'll share it. The nicest thing he did. So if you haven't seen the episode, it's. It's called. They just started the second season of Heart of the City, mm-hmm. and basically the premise is they go to different cities, they pick like three, four stand-ups, and then they kind of talk about the city a little bit, and then they go perform at one of the you know venues that the city has to offer. Mm-hmm. So when he came to Atlanta, uh, I get a call the day before that when they, they I didn't know I was on it until the day before, <laughs> and the guy goes, "All right, yep, we're gonna pick you to be on the episode. Uh, meet us tomorrow, ten uh, a.m. at Magic City." And I was like, like the strip club? And they were like, yeah. they were like, yeah, the strip club. And I was like, all right, that's a weird place yeah. to meet. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know. <laughs> Do you guys know Magic City? Like, yeah, we're gonna. So we go there and we meet, and I'm just like, it's ten o'clock in the morning. Like I've never been in there before, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm talking to the people I'm like, yo, I've never been in here. It's crazy. And they're like, yo, you stay there on camera. Tell Kevin you've never been on Magic City before. So I'm sitting there talking at the round table, and this didn't make air, but I was like, yeah, this is crazy. I've never been in here before. This is. This is wild. You know, I'll hear about this in all the rap music. Like, I mean, this is crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, you never been to Magic City? He came around and was like, we, you never been to Magic City? We got to go to Magic City. And I was like, we ain't going to no Magic City, right? <laughs> we taped the episode. Uh-huh. We get done. Kevin, somebody goes, y'all got to go to Magic City next. And I was just like, we're not going to Magic City. And then he goes, all right, look, I can't. He's like, I can't go to Magic City with you guys. I got stuff I got to do, whatever, whatever. But here's what I'll do. And then he pulls out the largest wad of cash I've ever seen in my <laughs> life and just hands me $1,000 bills. Oh, my God. And he God. was like, Magic City on me tonight. And I was just like, you're my favorite person <laughs> forever. Did I go to Magic City? Absolutely not. My gas, I drove there. My gas was on E. And I had several things that I had to pay off. So I didn't even. And then also, as soon as he gave me the $1,000, the other three comedians I was with, one of them just yells, split that up. And then, so I, instead of $1,000, I walked up with $200 of Kevin Hart's money. But still, uh, you know, it was, it was like, like him just being that genuine. Like, he didn't, that was, that was under the, like, that was just because. Right. You know, he was, he was super, he's super nice. Very genuine. Very, like, like a warm person, you know. Somebody That's you good. Want, yes. He's not a, like, my experience, like, sure, I'm sure other people might have different experiences. Mm-hmm. But for somebody as busy as he was and, like, all that, he was super cool. That's good. Yeah. I'd like to hear that. And he like listened. This is the thing that got me. He really listened to comic sets. So like, it's one thing to just be TV and then he see your set and be like, hey, good job, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. After every comic that went on, he went like, hey, do you ever thought about saying this? Like he would like look at tags. Like, he was watching your set. So wow. I remember he gave me like like some ideas for a joke. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, I mean, you ever thought about doing this? And like, I didn't want to say it, but it was I was just like, I don't even do these jokes anymore. These are just the ones y'all pick. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. so I was like done with the jokes. So I like. I kind of wanted to bring him back and do it like he said it, but a part of me was just like, "All right, let's just like I appreciate that, but I don't even do mm-hmm. I don't even do these jokes anymore." But again, very he was very very warm, very genuine person. Uh, how did you spend the two hundred dollars of Kevin Hart's money when I went to California like a week later for, to film something else, a mm-hmm. show on Fuse TV called mm-hmm. Uproarious? Uh, I just used that to like I don't know, like buy some tacos and some like some like food. I, I treated myself to like some food when I was out in L.A. It wasn't so it went to good use. Yeah, that's yeah, what, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. And and then also fill my gas tank, which was on E. That's even better that use. Yeah, yeah. So, so Kevin Hart helped get your gas. He and did. some tacos. He did, man. He paid for it and he paid a little, <laughs> little hat, like a, like maybe fifty of those dollars went to like the plane ticket. So it was it's well worth it. So after you appear on this show and you mm-hmm. meet Kevin Hart, yeah, I feel like that opens up. 
I mean, you were saying how people say, oh, we saw you on this, come be on whatever this right. television show. It, uh, did it open up just so many doors for you? Um, I think it, it made, honestly, a lot of stuff was personal. Like, it, it made people, you know, because when you, I don't know, you start this, your family's like, what are you doing? Comedy. Mm-hmm. But, and then when they see you on TV, like, I guess he's for real. Like, <laughs> you know, people start paying. So, like, personally, right. it made people in my family kind of respect what, like, all the hard, long nights and hard work I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, career wise, I think it helped me. Like, a TV credit helps get you in any, like, it makes people have to pay attention to it's you. It's true. Now, I will say this if you watch that episode, they edited out so much of my set that you would blink if you missed me, <laughs> um, which is fine. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so I didn't really have a great tape to send the bookers, mm-hmm. but I did have that has appeared on Comedy Central, yeah. And that makes a difference when people are like, "Well, should I book this one person from this one thing, or this person who has a Comedy Central thing?" So I think mm-hmm. it locally, I think it's kind of like helped me, kind of like for people to like, oh, we he he's someone that we have to, you know, we have to reckon with, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. like we should have we have him on stuff. So, um, but like, did it change my life? Not 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 in the way I think people would think it would, mm-hmm. but it but it did because it opened up doors for me to like again do comedy festivals and stuff like that because it's like well why should we have him here oh he's he's really good and he's been on TV like it, it's mm-hmm. a stamp of approval you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah for sure I will tell you I watched the episode did not you? all of it um, okay earlier today actually yeah I looked it up because I was looking you up online and then I found uh, like I said it was on your website yeah. so I looked up the episode and I watched your set but that's interesting to say that they cut it all down so how, oh they how, edited it so how much how long was it originally oh at least uh 10 minutes wow it was like, like three seconds. minutes yeah, yeah it was yeah, like, it was like 30 super seconds. short which is wow. so the interesting story about that i was uh it was what made that interesting was uh I, i've said this before so i'm not saying it again i feel like no one who had anything to do with that show wanted me on the show Interesting. Uh, um, and the reason why I know that is because after I got done, I just looked at the styles of everybody who was on the show, and I was just like, I don't fit. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like, which one of these things is not like the other? And I was like, mm-hmm. it's me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember went to one of the producers, and I said, I knew I wasn't everybody's pick, but I just wanted to do well enough to make somebody look good. And that guy goes, you made me look good. Because I, I knew, like, wow. it, was, it, was a very, it was very obvious that I wasn't, like necessarily what they wanted, but my I was good. Somebody had to fight for me to be honest. What I'm saying, mm-hmm. and I knew that someone like just feel. I knew someone fought. So stylistically, I didn't necessarily fit what the the idea of everybody on the show was. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, I what the material that I did, no one thought would work in that room. Mm-hmm. So people were already like, that's not going to work here at Uptown. Like, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And when it did work, I was like, oh, I was very excited. I was like, okay, they're going to be able to use this. Mm-hmm. And when they didn't, I was just like, this sucks. Because yeah. people were going to think, he must have bombed. <laughs> and it was, it was weird because I, I had friends who went and people who kind of, you know, even necessarily weren't friends, which mm-hmm. is other comics. And they were like, oh, you're going to, he's going to, like, he came to see me bomb <laughs> in a sense. And, I, and when I did, people were like, oh, man, that was really good. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I knew I was good, but like, why didn't they put it? And you know, a lot of it mm-hmm. is just, it's time. Like, that's the thing, you know, you, once you do it, you're done. Like, there's nothing else you can do it's about true. it. true. So, I, you know, I'm again very th- uh, grateful for the opportunity, but I was like, kind of like took out a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that I wanted to do. But the good thing about that is what they don't show that you, what they don't air, you could then use if you're on another TV appearance because they've no one seen it. That's true. And all they really got on that episode was two jokes that I don't even like. They were crowd work jokes that I never do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or like if I, when I say ne- like I, the last joke 
This is a stalker joke that mm-hmm. I do. I don't do that. I haven't done a joke in like years. I just did, you know what I mean? But I just uh-huh. did that because I was like, just throw it out there. This feels good. You're doing well. Right. The first thing, I don't do that. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it was throwaway jokes. So they, the thing that people were like, that guy's good with stuff. I'm like, that's not even halfway. Like it's right. not even, that's not a good representation of me. Mm-hmm. But it again, it opens up doors. So I'm not, I'm not complaining. It's true. Yeah. It's I'm very, not very true. So, so let me ask you to, to dive a little bit into like your mind and how okay. your mind works when it comes to comedy. What's your writing process? Okay. You're going to hate this. I do not write. Oh, no. Listen, listen. When people, <laughs> when people say that, because I know like there's the people like Jerry Seinfeld and Jim Gaffigan yeah. who were like, you need to write, write every hour. single yeah. word. And then, you know, Jerry Seinfeld has all those sheets of paper yep. and the journal articles and he's just like forever. And then you have people who are just like, I get up there and I mean, obviously you don't go up there with nothing. Right. You know what you're going to talk about, right. but you just, you talk. So, and I, I understand that. So well, let me just, let me that. start by saying early, when I first started comedy, I wrote down everything. Mm-hmm. And then my car got broken into two different times, and my my stuff was stolen twice. My oh. And so I was like, I'm not going through that again. Uh-huh. So I was like, I'm just not writing. So what I'll do now is I'll put like ideas in my phone, mm-hmm. just premises. So it'll just be like, I don't know. Do I have one? Let me see if I have one on my phone. Is that all right if I look for that? Look, yeah, go ahead. Look uh, at your phone. Let me see. Uh, this is bad podcast. Someone who podcasts, I understand this is very bad podcasting because this is kind of dead air. But <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're filling it with our awkward laughing. So okay, we're fine. so all right. For instance, uh, I just wrote down one of my just says biscuits and gravy, mm. right? And it's just this idea of uh, this joke that I'm doing now, where it was just me and a friend talking about uh, the origins of biscuits and gravy, mm-hmm. and it's like because a lot of my stuff has to do with like race and stuff like that. So it's like I was riding with a friend who's white, and he was talking about like. He really likes Southern traditions like biscuits and gravy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I love that too. I'm from the South. I love biscuits and gravy. And I was like, you know, biscuits and gravy like probably wasn't invented by like white people <laughs> just based on like how history works. <laughs> you know, and then I talk about like why biscuits and gravy is definitely invented by black people. You know what I mean? It's like it's, like, it's weird. But the in in my head it says all that, but on my on my phone it just says biscuits and gravy. Right. And then then I have to force myself to go constantly to uh different mics and like perform a lot mm-hmm. so then i can work the idea out and i record all my sets so it's like it's good okay. i audio record all my sets and then listen to them so like i get the cadence and i know what i'm doing because mm-hmm. again i'm very conversational so i don't ever wanted to feel like i'm like and set up punch set up punch like one of my greatest things that people tell me after shows is we really like how it just seemed like you were just talking mm-hmm. I'm like yeah that's what i want like i wanted to feel like a conversation right yeah so do you ever go into like a uh, when you go in to perform, mm-hmm. do you know what topics you're going to be addressing, or is it more just like you start talking, and then you're like, "Oh, okay, I'm going to throw this out. I'm going to throw this uh, out." Yeah, I always know where I want to start. I'm not um, with a joke. I don't always know where I want to end. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. uh, some things naturally tie themselves together, mm-hmm. but a lot of times it's like, I'll "Just say that thing," and then kind of <laughs> see, you know what I mean, and kind of see. Mm-hmm. A lot of my comedy is me trusting that I'm funny. Mm-hmm. And I always tell other comedians, it doesn't work for everybody, but I always say, like, don't worry about the right. And for me, I never worry about the right word. I worry about, like, the heart behind the word mm-hmm. in the sense that, like, if I've been doing comedy now seven years, I know how to be funny. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to figure out necessarily where it is. I just go say it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just, like, trust yeah. the idea that you had and then go from there. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I like to ask this question of uh, all my stand-up guests okay. because I find this so interesting. And their their responses are always so much fun. Um, so it's two-parter. Okay. So get ready. It's I'm ready. two parts. Getting ready. Uh, so part one is how do you deal with hecklers? Ooh. And part two is what is your 
most horrific heckler story if you have <laughs> uh so i i deal with hecklers hecklers um most times um you let them say what they're gonna say mm-hmm. and you say what'd you say and they say it again <laughs> and that gives you time to process a rebuttal uh-huh um i tend to i tend to be on the you know everyone that's not you hates you right now <laughs> so you get the crowd to like police that in the sense mm-hmm. that like how important do you think you are right. to be yelling at me when, you, like, as if you're the only one that paid to get in here? Right. So that's normally my approach. It's like to be like, just like shame them, because mm-hmm. um, I don't. I feel like once you go super mean, then it takes the air out of the room, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not. I'm just not naturally like a super mean person. Mm-hmm. Uh, greatest heckler story I remember <laughs> when I, early, on, especially early on. I was doing. I would do these rooms like real hood. They were just like real hood, <laughs> and I remember I had some joke about Bert and Ernie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never it was a someone's grandmother I just remember it was a grandma with cornrows as soon as I said Bert and Ernie you hear this voice and I was like oh he talking about Bert and Ernie and I was like what he's like you talking about Bert and Ernie don't nobody want to hear about Bert and Ernie and I was like what did Bert and Ernie do to you she was she was like my kids look at my grandkids look at Bert, listen to Bert and Ernie all day and I'm tired of hearing that and if I got now I got to come here and hear you talk about Bert and Ernie and it was like a conversation heckle which I can appreciate because it's like someone could like at least she gave me a reason why she didn't like it right sometimes people was like boo and just like well what do you mean I was like I don't know I just want to boo you mm-hmm. this person was like look I have personal issues <laughs> with Bert and Ernie and you're triggering me right now with this. I don't appreciate that and I was like you know I ended up being like well you win like I'll, I'll not do that <laughs> yeah. I was like a year and a half maybe two in the comedy I was like there's no reason to fight my elder like right. <laughs> I'm gonna let you have that and yeah so that was like one wow. of the worst that was probably one of the worst heckles for sure but I don't know it's it's it almost makes for another good story that you can tell later on yeah oh for in sure in a set because that's hilarious yeah most good heckles are like should be jokes <laughs> they, they turn into other jokes cause man most people get triggered by like I don't know like emotional things like yeah. mental things like very deep dark things yeah. it's like Sesame Street well, for her we, don't, we like, don't know what her grandkids were doing to her when they were watching <laughs> that's her. true they could be throwing all types of applesauces who, and stuff who hurt you yeah, who did this to you five and six year olds <laughs> being the worst there I guess so for somebody who like who maybe hasn't who wants to get into stand-up and mm-hmm. who hasn't started yet does they don't know how to take the first step mm-hmm. as someone for you uh who took that first step yeah seven years ago seven years what do you, what would you say to them and how to take that first step um just sign up for them like if you think you can do it try because mm-hmm. you never want to feel like you didn't do something mm-hmm. that was that you like to do try it now now uh You'll know after that first time, probably not, not say the first time, you'll know after like the, maybe the first three times, four, four or five times, whether or not you want to do it because you'll hopefully be around people who are really doing it and you'll see like what it takes to get as good as they are. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to do that, keep doing it. If you're not, there's nothing wrong with kind of doing it, but just know if you're just kind of doing it. You're taking the spot of someone who, like, that's all they think about. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing even wrong with that. Like, you know, like, just have being a hobbyist about it. But uh, my thing is, like, I tell everybody, try it. Because mm-hmm. you never know what you have. You know, you never know what you're sitting on. And, you, you know, and you're the only one that can tell your story. So if you try it, you might have something, you know. Mm-hmm. And be ready. Just know you're going to suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I sucked. <laughs> People are like, man, you're so good now. Like, yeah, talk to me six years ago. Right. It was terrible. It was like not good comedy, you mm-hmm. know? 
Um, but like, it's like, what do you do with that adversity? Mm-hmm. Are you able to be like, that eh, wasn't good. It didn't feel good, but I'm willing to try again. Mm-hmm. Or you're like, I'm going to go back to what I was doing and act like this moment <laughs> never happened. Like those, those are the two people. And I always tell people, just try it. Just give yourself a chance mm-hmm. and try it, you know? So who's your favorite comic today? Whew. Um, I don't have one favorite. Is that all right if I don't have one favorite? That is fine. Who are your favorite comics today? Okay. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, I mean, I, I remember hearing a uh, podcast where I think it was Chris Rock uh-huh. was talking about um, every comic is a son or daughter of another comic. Mm. And, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, as soon as he said it, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm a child of Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle. Like, I'm <laughs> specifically Chappelle's show uh-huh. and like and Chris Rock certain like maybe like to kill a mess like certain specific uh specials uh so those two are like the ones I'm like I I'm very influenced mm. by just Chappelle in the sense that he can be super silly and super serious and he's very he's just very honest and rock and his like aggressiveness with what he thinks is true mm-hmm. and uh but then my favorite one to comic to watch now is nothing like any of those it's Nate Bargatze Hmm. Do you know Nate Bargatze? I don't. If you have Netflix, uh, he's one of the episodes of the stand-ups on Netflix. He's okay. like the first one. He's a dude from like sub, some, somewhere in Tennessee. I forgot where. Like a southern, like very big southern draw. Uh, I remember seeing the first time I saw him was here in Atlanta at the One Name Secret Show back when it was at Village Theater. And I went to the show. I fell asleep at the show because it starts at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. I fell asleep. And I woke up to the loudest <laughs> laugh I've ever heard in my life. The whole room wow. was like shaking. I thought somebody was like, I thought a car had hit the oh building. Oh, my God. And I look around like, who's on stage? What's happening? And it's Neighbor Gatsy. And if you know Neighbor Gatsy, he's not animated at all. He stands in one spot and he doesn't move. He doesn't move his hands, anything. He's one of the most stationary comics I've ever seen. And I was like, that guy made all of this. And wow. then the more I watched him. This this is how this is how good he is. I was just talking to a friend last night about him. Uh-huh. Uh, my friend last night, uh, we both grew up in the church, and he was telling me how like he played his he played Nate Bargatze for some of his friends, and I was and he was like they loved him, everybody loved him, and they're like, uh, you know, he he might consider them like rednecks or whatever, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I told him when in summertime when I was I visit family in Detroit, and I have a cousin who stays like in not good neighborhoods in Detroit, like just some hood part or whatever. And I played him never guess and he loved it. And I was like, the fact that he can span all that that huge demographic and they're both falling out of their chair. My cousin was falling out of his chair. Like, who is this dude? And wow. I was like, this is my favorite comic. And like that's why I was like, that's how you know you're good. And he works clean too. He wow. works clean too. Like I've never he rem- you know, he probably reminds me of like a modern day Andy Griffith. If I can because mm. he works clean, it's very like anybody can get it, but it's just like sharp and funny and kind mm-hmm. of just like very conversational. He's one of my favorites. Wow, yeah. I'm gonna have to watch him now. Neighbor Gassy's the best. Wow, okay. Shout out to you. If you tag him in this, because I love. It. I mean, he knows. I've since one of the cool things about doing comedy is you get to work with the people that like you love. And that was one time I remember fan, and I was like, "Look, man, like I remember playing him on a road trip with my family, mm-hmm. and they were like, my mom doesn't laugh anything. She was like, this guy's funny. Wow. And I was just like, yeah, he's the best. And I was like, you're really good with moms. And he was like, yeah, that's why I was no, I'm very good. <laughs> like moms love me. Everybody, grandmas love me. Everybody loves him. He's uh-huh. just the best. Okay, I'm gonna have yeah. to when when the show's done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write Gatsy. down his name and That's the one. I'm gonna look him up. I'm gonna watch him. Yeah. So talk a little bit now about your podcast okay. and you know where it came from, the ideas and like what it is and what you guys talk about. All right. So the podcast we do is uh, f- called Fourth and Ten uh, on FourthDistrict.com. Uh, it is basically me, two other comedians, Damon Sumner, who again I started comedy with the first day I started with, and Nathan Owens. It's a it initially started as a sports and comedy podcast, and it still is. 
the first maybe like 10 to 15 episodes, we thought we could just break down sports. <laughs> and then we were like, we're comedians. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. So now it's a very, we take the 10 quote unquote biggest topics in sports. Mm-hmm. And then we just, we just like, it's nothing, nothing about it. You like you don't have to like sports to like this. Mm-hmm. Like we deviate from sports very quickly. We talk about fights that we've been to as a kid, beating up our little brothers, how to be a bit <laughs> like it just becomes this like big thing of just like it sports is the jumping off point mm-hmm. to so many other things. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the honestly it's the most fun I have. We do it weekly too. It's the most fun I have every week because we're just like me and two of my good friends are just talking about things that are about sports, but also like like this last month we did a thirty we did we, we like I told you before we drank water. All we did was drink water this whole month, right? Mm-hmm. And so we found out that one of the parts on the podcast on Thanksgiving was like drinking beer and like having a good time. So on the podcast, we just roasted him for like <laughs> yeah. for a while for just being weak, <laughs> just being a weak willed person who couldn't hang. Uh-huh. And you know what I'm saying? So it's like it's even if you don't like sports, it's for you because it's fun. And one of the cool mm-hmm. things is like when we travel together and we'll have couples come. Okay, couples will come. And and the wives or girlfriends will always be like, I don't like sports, but mm-hmm. <laughs> your podcast lets me know a little bit about sports, but also it's super fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. So that's where like we always call it a sports ish podcast. Like it's mm-hmm. not really sports, but it is. So you have to be a sports guy though to yeah. host that. Like you have to watch. Sports. You would think. <laughs> you not would think, really. Here's my. I have a secret weapon. My younger brother is really a big sports person. So when there we put we the topics together, I'm always like, "What does this mean?" <laughs> and I send him a text, and then he'll message me back. This is kind of what happened here because I know enough. I grew up really liking sports, so I know mm-hmm. enough. Um, so I would like learn like little stuff. But honestly, it's it's really just like we're just figuring out like moments in our life that we've had that are similar to these these experiences in sports. Whether it's you know, I mean, and it can be some stuff is serious, some stuff is not. But it's like. It, you don't have to like sports to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So I watch sports when I can, but I'm not like, I have to get the notes down for the podcast. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's just a lot of riffing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. That's fun. It's like three guys hanging out. It's like three guys hanging out. Having a good time. Yeah. I like time. that. Yeah, man. You, you, I think you'd enjoy it. So um, tell me, uh, what is your ultimate goal? What's your ultimate goal or your ultimate dream? Hmm. Ultimate. So when I hear that, I think that that means once you've done it, you're done, mm-hmm. which is why I don't have one. Mm. I don't have an ultimate. Like, there's no, there are things, there are some goals that, like, like somebody asked me recently, like, what's a cool thing? I was like, yeah, I'd, sure, I'd love to play Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a comedy thing, like, you want to check off. But uh, I don't really have, like, a thing that I like to be as much as, like, when I'm dead and gone, I would like to, for people, when they say my name, like, he was one of the greats. I I feel like not. It's a weird thing to say out loud publicly because people are like, "You got to be humble," and you do should be. You should be humble. One of the, if you learn anything else about comedy, be humble. Uh, don't be rude to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like to be a genuinely nice person to people because mm-hmm. you never. You know, not just you never know who people will be, but just it's just good to be a good person. <laughs> it's true. It just makes sense to be a good person. Um, but you know, apart like I, I, the competitor in me, like who grew up playing sports, like I want to be, I want to be on someone's Mount Rushmore. When people are like, oh, that guy's, yeah, his specials are this great. They match up with these people. He took comedy and did it in a certain way that kind of broke ground for whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to, like, want to be known as one of the greats. And I've, you know, it sounds weird just for people to hear and even me to say sometimes. But one of the things I learned is, like, if you don't say it, it's hard to be it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for the longest, I would never say I was a comedian. I would just say I do comedy. Because mm-hmm. it gave me, like, this, like, uh, maybe I don't do comedy, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's kind of like, area of like being uh not held accountable for what i said Mm -hmm. so now i the moment i remember started saying i am a comedian 
I felt more confident about being a comedian. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I say I want to be great, I want to be one of the greats, it's no longer like I'm going to try my best. It's like, no, you want to be a great. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say that I want to be a great. And if everybody doesn't like it, that's okay. I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It sounds to some people like he's not being, you know, like like he's not being humble or whatever. But it's like, no, I, I work hard at it. And mm-hmm. I want to be considered one of the greats because everybody I look up to knows that they're one of the greats. Mm. So I want to be like those people. That's just all it is. Like I admire the Chappelle's and the Rocks and the Priors and all these people so much. That, like I want to be like I want to be cool with them. And I feel like the only way you be cool with them is to be as good as them. Mm-hmm. And so like that's how I look at it. You know. Mm-hmm. So that's ultimate goal is just to go down on somebody's Mount Rushmore. Well, look, I'll tell you. After <laughs> hearing you talk for the past hour, yeah. I would not be shocked <laughs> if when if when you know you you die, we don't get a little CNN breaking news. Hey. Nothing like a good breaking news. <laughs> That's how you know you made it. You That's know people, how you know you, know you made people it. people died last year and didn't get a breaking news? Uh-huh. If I got a breaking news, man, I think my I think if I got a breaking news, my mom would respect me doing that. <laughs> Currently, she does not. She thinks it's crazy. <laughs> wow. Well, as my, you know, as my last uh, question I want to ask you, and uh-huh. this is the question I ask every single guest. Okay. This, this is what ends the show. Okay. On this note. So it's a lot of pressure. Okay. Not really. I was say I, I'm cool with pressure. It's it's minimal pressure. Okay. Minimal pressure here. Okay. Cool. 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 Um, if you were to give one piece of advice mm-hmm. to somebody who eventually would like to be in your shoes, where yeah. you are today, what piece of advice would you give? Um, man, the the principles in life that are good, such as like being a good person, knowing yourself, being true to yourself. Like the things that we, it's just everyday people that we want to aspire to, mm-hmm. those translate to comedy. Mm. Knowing yourself well, um, being comfortable with yourself, doing the right thing to yourself and to other people mm-hmm. in life, that transfers in comedy. That there's no reason for those two, two lives to be separate. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you're able to come to grips with who you are as a person and like really study who you are as a person and like figure out the things that make you good and things you're not good at, like apply those to comedy as well because. You become a more complete person. You become a more person who's more at peace with mm-hmm. things going on around them. And it allows you to tap into a creativity that you don't necessarily know you have when you're worried about everything else going on around you. When you're very sure of yourself, that's when your true self comes out because you're not worried about... You're, not, you're, not, you're more affirming what you are instead of trying to figure out what you're not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so that's what I would say is like be as true to yourself and pos- like give, to, give to yourself. Make sure you're giving to other people. And that's just like indeed in word and like how how you go about your life. I think that's just very important on stage and off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally for sure, for sure, yeah, man. man. I'll tell you, this was one of my favorite interviews Ooh. because I feel like you're just one of the most down to earth people <laughs> that I have ever talked with. Yeah. Like, I told you, well, I'm down to earth because I told you I don't like space. We talked about how we started. <laughs> that's I don't true. Like that's yeah. true. That's why. <laughs> that's why you are the most, the literally, literally yeah. the most down to earth man I've ever Appreciate met. Appreciate that, man. Um, but you are just very humble. And appreciate I, I appreciate that. No, you know. Thanks for having me. Um, but it's been a blast talking with you. Dude, this has been really. great. Uh, it's been fun to learn from you. Yeah, man. So uh, to anybody that's listening, remember, you can follow us at our Facebook page at Talking Late Night. You can visit us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. And you can also find us on iTunes where you can rate and leave us a review. But before I end the show, David, I have to ask you, yes. where can people find you? Uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Do or Die. That's at D-U-E-O-R-D-I-E. 
or davidperdueComedy.com. It's not, I couldn't just be David Perdue because there's currently a senator with the exact same name. Yep. And so I would also encourage people, if you're going to, if you have a problem with that senator, like just know who you're sending DMs to because sometimes you send them to a very cool comedian that doesn't know what you're talking about and it becomes awkward. So David Perdue Comedy, that's where you can find all my stuff. David Perdue Comedy. Yeah, davidperdueComedy.com. Not the senator. (laughs) Well, thanks again to David for being on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.